I've had a, a few people suggest to me that, uh, that yesterday was uh, a perfect setup for today's sermon, uh, the game yesterday. Today's sermon, uh, answering the question, how could a loving God allow suffering? <laughs> so anyway, I want you to know I had nothing to do with that, and I feel your pain. I was uh, texting back and forth with uh, our son Greg's, uh, probably his best friend from law school, and uh, who is, happens to be a big Wisconsin fan, has been his whole life, and so I, we, we actually, first text was before the game started, and uh, you know, giving the scores we thought they would be, and, and, uh, and then who, who was going to buy the, you know, whoever won uh, got a free meal from the other guy, so uh, his last text to me was really very kind. I mean, seriously, it was, and which even makes you feel worse, doesn't it? You know, when they're actually, they feel so bad for you, they're so embarrassed for you that they're, they're nice to you. Okay, now let's get serious, okay? Um, you know, I just got to have a little laughter with today's subject because it is so serious. I don't know if you realize it or not, but December 26 marks the 10th anniversary. Uh, anniversary is not the right word, I guess. Ten years since the massive tsunami that, that took the lives of, of over 250,000 people living around uh, the rim uh, uh, in the Indian Ocean. And time passes so quickly, it's hard to believe it's been ten years already, but really you do not, you do not forget the pictures of that, that unbelievable a devastation and, and loss of life. And every time something like that happens, you hope it's going to be the last one. But it never is, right? I mean, I could go through a list of, of those kinds of occurrences since, since 2004. The, the earthquake in China, the earthquake in Haiti, you put those two together, and there were, there were, uh, there were nearly 300,000 people who lost their lives. And and then the uh, Hurricane Sandy and the destruction of property and the loss of lives that, that came with that. And so you've got natural disasters and then you've got moral evil and that, that's in our world and, and, and all of the senseless and, and, and brutal taking of human lives that we see happening all the time. And again, we could just go through a list. As recently as 2012, the the shooting in Sandy Hook Elementary School with 20 children and six adults losing their lives. And you just look at something like that and you just go, how, you know? And, 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 and then realizing that it's, that's ongoing. It's as recently as this year in the shooting in, in Washington State. And, and then the, the, the schoolgirls in Nigeria who were kidnapped by terrorists. I mean, I, mean, I just cannot imagine as a parent going through something like that. And, and then the thousands of people in Syria and Iraq who have lost their lives at the hands of, of, of the Islamic State in, the, in, this, in, in all of 2014. It's just unbelievable. And every time a natural disaster occurs and every time we, you know, we see again the, the, the example of man's human, inhumanity to man, it puts front and center the question that, that we're asking and, and we're answering this morning, and the question it really is, how could, how could a loving God allow suffering? And that's really the right question to ask. It's an honest question, and, it, and it's a question 
that deserves an answer. And I'm guessing that, that most of us have asked that question at some point in our lives. And, and so, you know, I, I love this uh, statement uh, when we think about that it's really a question that deserves to be answered that was written by John Stott, who is a, a theologian. He wrote a, a great book called The Cross of Christ. And he said, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith. And he's right. And he said it has been in, in every generation. And then he writes, it's, and this is why, he said its distribution and degree appeared to be entirely random and therefore unfair. And then he goes on, he says, sensitive spirits, people who really care deeply about issues like this, ask if it, if it can possibly be reconciled with God's justice and God's love? I mean, that's a fair question. How could a loving God, how could a loving God allow suffering? And some of you know, from my, my own experience as a child growing up, this is something that, because of the severity of my mom's illness, that, that I had to deal with at a, very, at a very young age. And I cannot tell you, I possibly even explain how many times, and the feeling that I did it with, how many times I cried out to God as a child to heal my mother. And, 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 and yet with every downward spiral of her illness and, and asking God to just stop it, so you know, at least stop it at the point that it's, it's at so she wouldn't have to suffer anymore. Asking God that over and over again, but it, but it never happening until finally the, the, the impact of that disease on her body and on her heart was so severe that her heart literally gave out and, and she died from heart failure at the young age of 58. I mean, you go through something like that as a kid and you cannot help but ask that question like other people have asked that question when they've been faced with suffering in their own life or the life of somebody that they love a great deal. I mean, you cannot help but ask it. And, and as I look back on my life, I'm, I'm so thankful for those people who cared enough for me that they listened to me as a child and they listened to me as a high school student. Two times that, that are very vulnerable in the life of somebody, that they listened, they cared, and they did their very best to provide the answer to this question that I was asking. So I'm very thankful for that. But I'd also have to say that I'm most thankful to God. I'm most thankful to see that my, my own mom's confidence in God, in the truth of who God is and her trust in who God is. And so my mom did a lot to helping me answer that question for myself. And I'm so thankful for Becky and, my, and, and, and myself as I, as I look back over these last three years since we lost our son Greg. That both of us could know with confidence the truth about God. That, that God is truly infinite in his wisdom and his power. And, and, and God is perfect in his, in his holiness and his love. I, I can tell you, this just, uh, Becky and I literally would not survive through all of this if we, if we didn't know this truth about God. It's given us the strength that we've needed to take every step through this journey. Now I say all of this. Because I, I want you to know that, that this isn't any kind of a, 
of an academic exercise that I'm going through and as, I, as I prepared this sermon and as I'm sharing it with you t- today. What I'm saying this morning c- comes deeply from within my own heart because I had to wrestle through this question in a very real way as a child and, and, and as a student in high school. And I also feel this deeply today. Because I know that in an audience this size, there are some of you who right now are facing your own tsunami. Your, your world right now is turned upside down. For whatever reason, it, it, it might be that you're facing a life-threatening illness. It might be that you're going through a divorce. It might, it might be that you've just lost your job. You don't know, you know, you don't know what's coming around the corner at you. It, it might be that as a, as a student, you're facing bullies at school, which can be a very real thing and a very terrible and a very hard thing. Or it might be that as a parent, you have a child who's making choices right now that are very destructive to his or to her life. And so I want you to know that I, I did my very best in preparing this sermon, and I prepared it with respect for this question that we're asking and, and with a whole lot of respect for you in, in, ans- in asking this question. And I'm convinced It's the right question, it's the honest question to ask, and I want to do my best at answering it. And and in in doing this, and answering this question, I'm I'm not up here this morning to give you my opinion. What I'm saying is based on the truth of God's word, the Bible. And that's, first of all, I just want to say that's one reason if you missed last Sunday's sermon on why we can have confidence in the Bible, you, you want to go online and on our website and, and listen to that sermon. Really, all of these, these five sermons that we were doing all fit together, and you really need all five. I, so I really encourage you not to miss a, a single one. And, but I also want to tell you that I'm, I'm, I'm saying what I'm saying this morning also based on, on the truth of Scripture, but also based on the thinking, really the careful thinking and diligent study of other men and women who've tried to answer this question as well as it can possibly be answered. And so again, the question is, how could a loving God allow suffering? Now, when I've looked at this in this last week, as I've looked at this whole thing again, I've realized that there, there are really two parts to this question. And the first part has to do with the cause of suffering, how, how suffering came into this world in the first place. And the question that we ask that comes with that is, how could, how could a loving God allow suffering to even begin, to even start in the first place? And then the second part to the question is, uh, well, has to do with the purpose of suffering. How, how, is it, how can God take something that is that is so wrong and, and so harmful, how can God take something like that and bring good out of it? And the question that comes with that, uh, that 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 really answers is, and, and you may have asked this question, is, well, if the Bible tells us that ultimately God's going to bring an end to suffering, why, does God, why doesn't God just do that right now? Why, doesn't God, why does God allow suffering to continue? And that all has to do with the purpose of of, of suffering. And, and so I've, I've done a, a ton of reading for this sermon. I've, I've uh, read scripture. I've, I've, I've reread books that I, that I read years ago. I, I have been reading in books that, I, that, I, that are brand new to me. And so after I did all of that, I realized 
man, I've got a lot of material here, and there's absolutely no way that I'm going to be able to talk about both parts of these in one sermon. So I'm going to, I'm going to save the second part, the purpose of suffering, for a sermon that I'm, 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 I'll do next year as, as part of another series that, that on apologetics, and it would be maybe like prepared to, or more prepared, you know, well, whatever title we give it. So today we're going to talk about the cause of suffering. And I think one of the things that might be helpful for me to do as we get into this is to give you a heads up as to what the main point is that I'm going to make to help answer this question for all of us. And I think perhaps the best way to do is to ask, ask you a question. All right? You okay with that if I, you, you answer it for me, right? No, and I, you talk back to me on, on this one. So let me ask... For the sake of argument, for the sake of argument, let's assume that there is a God who created this universe, all right, which goes back to the first sermon that I, that I did in this series, that how can we know there's really a God? So let's assume there is a God who created this universe, who created each one of us, all right? Let, so let's assume there's a God who created the first man and woman who le- lived on this earth, and let's say that you're one of those two people. All right, you, you, you with me on this? You, you know what I'm doing, right? Okay, so now let me ask, here's my question. If you were one of those two people, which way would you rather be created? Would you rather be created when th- that God created you in a way in which you, God gave you the ability and the freedom to make your own choices? Do you want to be created that way? Or would you, be, would you prefer to be created as some kind of a programmed machine, like a robot, where, where God programmed you, God wired you to, do, to dutifully do everything that God wanted you to do, you know, in such a way so that you never had any choice about what you said or what you thought or what you did? Which way would you rather be created? Having the ability to make your own choices? Or you're just a robot, okay? Now, I got to tell you, and this is, this is the honest truth, all right? In my 46 years of, of talking to other people about my faith in Jesus Christ, going all the way back to my senior year in high school, I, every time that this question has come up, I, you know, how could, how, could a, how could a loving God allow suffering? And I'm answered this one over and over again many, many times, I, I, I've, I've come back and I've always asked the question, this, this same question, well, which way would you rather be created? Would you rather be created like some kind of a robot where everything's programmed into you and you have no choice, or would you rather be created having the ability to make your own choices? Guess, guess which one people always say they'd rather have. Any guesses? Oh, make your own choices. I mean, I, and again, this is the honest truth. I cannot think of one time when I had somebody say to me, well, I'd, I'd, I want to be created where I didn't have any choices. Okay? Never has anybody said that. So heads up, that's the key point I'm going to make in answering this question. So kind of put that one on the parking lot. We'll come back to it in a few minutes. Okay, now, let's find the answer to our question by digging into Scripture. And what we're going to see is that the answer is found in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, the book of the Bible, first book in the Bible, that tells us how everything came into existence in the first, first place. The, the creation of this earth, the creation of Adam 
and Eve. Which, by the way, I want you, you got to know this. Jesus Christ believed this. Okay? And Jesus Christ believed the account of Genesis, the, the beginning of earth. He, he believed in, in what it said, that creation happened the way Genesis describes that it happened, and that Adam and Eve were historical figures. He believed all of that. And I'll, I'll, just, I'll just for the record, I'm with Jesus. Okay? If Jesus said it's true, I believe it's true. You know why? Because Jesus Christ proved himself to be the Son of God. He did it by the perfect life that he lived. He did it by his power to do the miraculous. He, he did it by his unmatched wisdom. And more than anything else, Jesus Christ proved himself to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. So if, if Jesus says it's true, I, I believe it, all right? And, and so, really, you want to come back next Sunday because... Jeff is gonna, Jeff's really going to give the most important sermon in this whole series where he talks about the number one reason why you and I can stake our lives in, in our faith in Jesus Christ, and it all comes down to the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, man, shut off the lights and go home. But we know that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. Now, here's, here's what's so significant for us today about Jesus believing what's written in the book of Genesis. It's, it's, it's this, that in the first three chapters, we find the insight that we need to understand the cause of suffering in our, in our world. Now, the, 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 the very first thing that's important for us to know that, is that when God created this earth, he created it exactly the way he wanted it to be. In fact, if you read the first chapter of the book of Genesis, as God, as, as God completed each phase of creation, does anybody, does anybody know what he said at the, at the end every time he, he came to the end of the first part of creation and he said, it is good. He said, it's good. That, and, and, and by good, he, he, didn't, he wasn't saying, well, it's kind of good. It wasn't kind of pretty good. It's, it's, it's as good as it can get. It's absolutely perfect. God looked at what, what he created. It couldn't have gotten any, any better than the way he did it. Now, that, that's, that's great to know, all right? But it begs the question, what happened? What happened so that suffering came into this world? What happened so that we have, that nature does some of the stuff that it does, whether it's disastrous? What, what happened so that people sometimes do very harmful things to other people? How did this all happen? Well, it all comes down to the way God created us. It happened because God created us the only right way for us to be created. And I would say the only way any one of us would want to be created. Here's the deal. Along with sharing the perfection that was true of the rest of creation, God created Adam and Eve with something that I'm confident you'd, you'd never want any other way. God created them with the ability and the freedom to make their own choices. Most important, the choice whether or not to love and obey God. You see, God did not force this on them. They were given the choice. It's one of the most important things we can learn from Genesis about the creation of Adam and Eve. So here's, here's what we're told in the, second, in the second chapter. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree, any tree in the garden, but, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay? From the way this is written, it's clear that God gave Adam and Eve the ability to make their own choice. And I love this. With this freedom, this ability that God gave them, he gave them only one rule to follow. Just one. He said you can eat from all of the trees in the garden, but except for this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then God did the very fair thing, the right thing for God to do. God warned them of the consequences of not following this one rule. It was that clear for Adam and Eve. One rule to obey and the consequences if they didn't. Plus, God gave them every reason to obey it. He gave them the privilege of life itself. He created them perfect, and he made it possible for them to live in a perfect environment. Adam and Eve had absolutely everything going for them. They had every reason to be obedient to God. Just one rule, that's all God was asking of them. But read the third chapter of Genesis, and you find the choice that Adam and Eve made. When faced with the first big test of their ability, this freedom that God gave them, they flunked it miserably, and the rest of it is history. What was once a sin-free world became a sin-stained world. Not only was the heart of man infected by sin, but the physical world, the world in which Adam and Eve lived, the world in which you and I live, was changed from the, from the world God created it to be to a world of hardship and suffering. See, this needs to be understood before anything else is said about the cause of suffering in our lives. And here's why. Here's why, everybody. Think this one through and you'll come to the decision that there is absolutely no other way that God could have created us and no other way that you'd want to be created. Oh, it's possible. It's possible God could have created you like some kind of a programmed machine, like a robot. God could have done it this way. God could have programmed us, designed us to dutifully carry out every one of his commands, whether we wanted to or not. God could have acted like a master programmer where he wired us with software that determined everything we thought and everything we said and everything we did. God could have done that, but God didn't do it. Instead, God made, and I am so thankful he did, God made a deliberate decision to make a high-risk investment in every human being. God decided to give us this thing called free will. God gave us minds, and God gave us wills, and, and, and God granted us this remarkable level of autonomy to choose whether or not to love and obey him. And God did this. God did this because it's the only way for our love for him to be real and not something that God merely programmed into us. You know what I'm talking about, right? One writer summarized it this way, and I just thought, it, I hope you could, it's like this statement, it's, I'd want to almost send it home with all of you. So, 
fact, I should have printed it in a card and given it to you. It's so good. He said, the existence of an eternity of love depends on this gift of free will. So what God is doing is he's thinking not just life here on this earth, but he's thinking all of eternity. And, he, and so the writer said, the existence of an eternity of love, us loving God for all of eternity, depends on this gift of free will. And that eternity far outweighs the horrors of the very long, but in the most literal sense, a temporary period of divine human separation. So you put a few years on earth up against all of eternity, and God knew he wanted us to love him forever in eternity. That's, you get, you get that? It's just powerful. Think this one through, and I doubt you'd want it any other way. I don't think there's any one of us who would want to live like some kind of a programmed machine with no ability or no will to be able to make our own choices, especially whether or not we're going to love God. But for this to be possible, for us to have this freedom of will, there's always the possibility that we're going to choose not to love God. We're going to choose to do wrong, and with these wrong choices, bring the, the results that come with each one. Okay? This being true, there's three results or what we could say, three secondary causes of suffering in our lives. And I'm just going to track through these very quickly. The first one is suffering caused by others. And we know this is true, uh, that, that when we make wrong choices in our life, very often it affects the lives of other people. So we can bring suffering on others, and other people can bring suffering on us. I think of Adam and Eve, it didn't take very long at all <laughs> until they saw one of their sons kill another one of their sons, you know? And, and, and this kind of hatred and harm and even murder has been a part of the human race throughout the history of our world. And so there's suffering caused by others, and then there's suffering that is self-induced. The truth is, everybody, right? Some, and I emphasize some, not all, some of the suffering we experience in life we bring on ourselves. For example, a guy chooses to smoke two packs of cigarettes each day from the time he's 15, and he does this for 30 years, and he ends up with, with lung cancer. There, there's no reason for him to shake his fist at God and say, how could you do this to me, God? Or a person drinks alcohol too much and they drive and they end up getting killed in an accident. There's no reason for anybody to blame God, but yet I've heard people do that. Or someone chooses friendships that clearly are not good for them. And they know this. But it's still their choice, and over time, life isn't working, and they dug themselves into a hole. You know, how often have we heard this same person blame God for the mess that they've made of their lives? I know I have, and working with people as many years as I have, people blame God for things that they should blame themselves. The real tragedy for a person who blames God is that what they're doing is they're really separating them from the, one, from the one who loves them more than anybody else loves them and who can help them get, get, get their life back together again the way it needs to be. 
And then there's suffering that comes as a result, uh, resulting from natural disaster and disease. And again, if you go back and you read those chapters in Genesis, the third chapter, you'll see that along with Adam and Eve dying, along with death being part of our life, the infiltration of evil into nature was one of the results of the choice that Adam and Eve made. And so God warned them. God warned them before they, they disobeyed that there would be consequences. And then once they chose to sin, God reminded them of his warning. It's like he said, remember? Remember I told you? And, and so this is, this is what God said to them. He said, cursed is the ground. See, not only were Adam and Eve affected, but the ground, earth was affected. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life, and it'll produce thorns and thistles for you. And growing up in a farm, I knew what that meant. I mean, I remember cutting down thistles, and, you know, it's one of my least favorite things to do on the farm. And, and, and that's why you don't have to fertilize weeds, you know. This is what this is. It, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you eat the plants of the field and... Um, and, and by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. See, the world is what it is because of the choice that Adam and Eve made to rebel, to disobey God, and to do the very thing that God said they shouldn't do. That's why the world is the way it is. Now, you might be thinking that God overreacted. You know, like, oh, God, I think your judgment was just a little bit over the top there, you know? And, and so let me, let me just say, here's what I'm convinced is true. God doing this is exactly what God in his greatness and goodness should do. See, I'm convinced when any one of us think, God, you've gone too far. God, you've overreacted. God, you've, over, you've overjudged. It's because we don't understand how good and how great God really is. You see, we've under, underestimated God's goodness and his greatness, and we've underestimated how sinful we really are and the seriousness of our disobedience against God. Let me say it this way. We've underestimated the significance of sin in the face of a righteous God who loved humanity enough to create a perfect world in which to live. So the truth is, we can't blame God. The blame goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And because I would have done the same if I would have been them, if I would have been Adam, I mean, so it continues with me. I share the blame for the world in which we live. And if I can be as so bold as to say, so do you. Unless it's true that you've never sinned. Here's where this becomes very practical and it makes all the difference. I got to tell you, it made all the difference for me to understand that my mom's illness and her suffering wasn't something that God did to my mother. 
It was the result of my mom living in a world that's been impacted by the fall of mankind. And what was true for my mom is true for every person who's experienced some measure of suffering. This is an imperfect world, and our bodies and our minds are susceptible to the devastation and diseases that this world brings on us. Now, All of this is why Paul wrote what he did in my favorite chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. Okay? And this is where our hope is. This is where we turn the corner. This is what we can build our lives on and, and that will help us through these hard times in our life. Paul said this, writing from his own experience of suffering, he said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He said, they don't even come close. He said, for the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. He said, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, by the will of God, who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and, and, and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Which brings us back to how good and great God really is. You see, here's what's so important to know. God has not abandoned us. God never said to Adam and Eve, you blew it. I don't want anything more to do with you. And God will never say this to any one of us. When Adam and Eve sinned and they hid from God, God went to where they hid. And God did the most amazing thing. He sacrificed the, the, the very first of many animals to cover the nakedness of their sin that they now felt before God. And what's so significant about this for you and me is that every single one of those animals pointed to his son Jesus Christ who someday would be sacrificed for your sin and my sin on a Roman cross, which is really what the Bible is all about. In fact, I'll even say it better. It's what who, it's who the Bible is all about, Jesus Christ, Son of God. <laughs> what a point in human history became one with us in our humanity and one with us in our suffering. And he did this to suffer the greatest suffering possible. He took the judgment of God that every single one of us deserve. He took my sin and your sin on himself and he suffered the agony that we'd experience for all of eternity if it were not for the forgiveness that God provides through his son Jesus Christ. Not only this, not only this, everybody, but I can tell you that Jesus Christ will give you the strength that you need to walk your way through every bit of suffering that might come in this world. You see, you see God answers this question in, in the most marvelous way for all of us. How could a loving God allow suffering? You see, there's another question. And that is, how does a loving God give us the strength that we need to make it through suffering? 
And I think that question is as powerful and as important as the first question. And I can tell you that he can, he'll do this. He promises to do it. Jesus Christ said before he left this earth, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you through everything you go through in life. And I can tell you this from my own experience. I can tell you this from my mom's experience. I can tell you as a child, hearing from my mother as she talked about the difference that Jesus Christ made in her life, giving her the strength and the hope that she needed to make it through all of the suffering in her life that was just so absolutely horrible. And I can tell you from first, I mean, Becky was up here with me. She would say the same thing, that God, Jesus Christ has been with us every single step of the way through these last three years. I can tell you, <laughs> waking up in the middle of the night and I'm crying, I can tell you, I can tell you, there isn't a day that, I, that my mind isn't thinking about our son Jesus, about our son Greg. And with all of those times, I've, I've, been, able to, I've been able to say, Lord, you just got to give me the strength right now. You just got to help me right now. He's just being able to talk to, to my Lord Jesus Christ about what I'm going through with the loss of our son. I, all I can tell you, it's made all the difference to know that he knows and he cares. And I can, all I can say is every single time I've asked for strength, he's given me the strength that I need. And Becky would say the same. So, I can... I'm grateful to God for answering this question for me as a child. I'm grateful for him answering it for me all over again as a high school student. I'm thankful that God has answered this question for me as recently as these last three years. Because I tell you what, it's not until you get into some real suffering that that question becomes so important to have answered. All right? So, Let's pray, and then we're going to worship God here, and the song we're going to sing is one that has got so much hope in it, and it's what we're talking about this morning. And so when we sing it, let's just sing it with our hearts, okay? All right, let's stand, and we'll pray, and, and then Rob will come and lead us. Father, I, um, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would give strength to that every person here today who's in the midst of suffering. Father, I pray that you would help them understand how much you love them, that your love for them is so great that you suffered for them. You suffered in giving your son to be their savior and that your son Jesus Christ suffered on a cross. He didn't have to, but he did because he loves every one of us. Father, I think that's the most important thing for any one of us to understand when we're in the midst of our suffering. And I pray that your spirit would give us that understanding and your strength and your grace for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.